This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are learning to invest. That's right. Period. Period. Because <laughs> Not speculate. No. Not mess around. No. Not do what we think might grow, we hope. Not buy at a price that seems lower than it could be. Not buy because it went down 50% and, oh, it's on sale. That's right. Yeah. In other words, we think investing is what Warren Buffett says investing is, which is when you buy a $10 bill for $5, you're investing. You're certain to make money. That's investing. That, that, we, yes. that we really like. That's investing, right? When you, when you lend someone who's very likely to pay you back and make 5% interest, you're investing. Yes. It. It's so, the level of certainty. It's the level of certainty. And I think also being able to then follow the facts and change if you need to, if that certainty changes. Absolutely right. Whereas like to contrast to speculating where you don't have any facts to rely on in the first place because you're just going by what the price was and what it might be in the future. And by the way, one one of the things that is a wonderful marker um, for whether you're investing or speculating is if the if, if the investment goes down, in, in other words, it goes, you bought it at $10 and, and now it's at $4. Are you excited to buy more <laughs> or are you scared that you made a mistake? And if you're scared, you are a speculator. That's just straight up the truth of it. So if you're in the stock market and it goes down 50% and you're sitting there afraid and don't know what to do, then even if they want to call it investing, you're not investing. You're just speculating and hoping this thing goes up, something you don't understand, something you have no idea what you own. You're just hoping. And so that's not investing. And what investing should be is a really low risk, really comfortable, really fun endeavor where you have done your work. And at the end of the day, if you can buy more of this thing as the price goes down, you're extremely excited that you can do so. Because it's the, the lower the price goes, the better your overall return is going to be. That's great investing. That's what we want to do. That's what we're teaching here. And that's what I hope, you know, we're even learning as we go ourselves. Because mm -hmm. often, you know, the devil's in the details, as Danielle has. That's right. Before. And I will that's, say that I don't always feel so amazing when the price goes down. And that's okay, too. Time to do a little more work. Well, but no, it's human. like, I think it's human and natural that it even if, like, there's always a sense, somebody asked me recently on one of my um, newsletter group calls, how, like, how to deal with it when the price goes down and you just sort of freak out a little bit. <laughs> like, it's just sort of like, how do you know? I think the question was like, how do you know when you're done? How can you really be sure that you've done all the work? And of course, 
we can never be sure that we've done all the work. Like you can think that and you can look a lot and have a sense that you've accomplished all the reading that you can accomplish. And still there can be information out there that did not come across the radar. And, and that's, so I guess it, 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 it's, it's difficult to have that level of certainty. And at the same time, I think investing practice is about finding a level where you're comfortable in certainty in whatever that is, 98% certainty. And then as new info comes along, being able to incorporate that into your thinking. I think um, Charlie Munger said something like, one of the greatest markers of an intelligent person is being able to um, not only accept differing viewpoints, but to turn around and appreciate them. And that's like a terrible paraphrase, but he said something along those lines. Um, and well, Charlie, so, Charlie took great glee in destroying something that he really That's what it was. That's what it was. It's, it's, right. it's um, being able to destroy one's best loved ideas is like his favorite thing to do. That's, that's essentially what he said. And I think that's, that's, that's part of it is, is as that new information comes in, as you start to feel that doubt, as you start to wonder, being able to take the joy actually in that, even as you're panicking, but being able to have both sides of it, kind of the small self and the big self and being able to find the joy at the same time of going like, oh, how incredible to um, either discover that I was still right all along, even with this new information, or maybe change things. I, I, Guy Kawasaki is a, is a favorite of mine. He was um, one of the key guys at Apple in the early days and as an mm. evangelist for Apple, if you remember. And uh, Guy wrote or was talking on CNBC once and I was talking, watching him. He said, one of the most important lessons that I learned from Steve Jobs is that changing your mind changing uh, what you're doing, reversing yourself at an extreme um, is actually a sign of intelligence. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally yeah. right. So we and do yet, want so to many constantly... people do not. <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, the great ac accusation of being a flip-flopper in one of the right. presidential elections recently. It's like, God, being a flip-flopper is actually a mark of great intellectual trustworthiness so yeah i mean you've got to be able to grow and you and and change your mind and you and at the extreme you've got to be able to do it yeah and and get it right it doesn't mean you're right it just means you're you're willing to open your mind up and i think that's super super critical for an investor we we talked about creating a story about investing right this rule story mm -hmm. which you're going to review on on a quarterly basis or at least an annual basis you're going to be looking for changes in the story um, because the world is a, is a, I don't know, the world's a scary place and things can happen. Most companies don't make it a hundred years. Right? True, true. So you always want to be sure you're not sitting there with a harness company about the time they're going to invent the automobile. Right. And, and, and you're not, you're not running, you're not deeply invested in a typewriter company as the computer comes out. And the, the beauty of course, if you're paying attention is that these changes that are dramatic like that, just an entire industry is changing are very slow. I mean, they're rolling out over a, you know, over years, not months, mm. and certainly not weeks. So if you're paying any attention, you you're going to pick it up, and you're going to make your changes, and uh, and that's why we buy with a margin of safety because we want to be sure if something big changes, we're gonna we're gonna come out of it all right. And the other thing is that we have some tricks 
that help us keep our act together when the stock price is dropping, mm. um, our act being, hey, we've got this, I'm in our control, I'm not gonna get emotional about it, I'm really excited actually the price is dropping. Be and one of the most important tricks is to own businesses that have no debt. That is hmm. just gigantically important um, way to preserve your emotions. I mean, when when I, you know I've owned Chipotle multiple times, and when the stock price goes down, in the end it has a little debt now, but in the old days it never had debt, and it's it's just this comfort to know that as long as this company is producing free cash flow and has no debt, it can get a lot smaller, but it's not going away. And if I and and then the second thing that preserves our our emotions is in the process of understanding the business, we learn about its moat, that that protective barrier against competition, which allows it to overcome these changes in the world, you know, E. coli poisoning or a bad CEO who does, you know, new Coke or or whatever, right? IBM's right now dealing with, you know, um, a CEO that hasn't been able to figure out how to make the transition to this new world successfully, even while a better CEO at Microsoft made the transition and Microsoft exploded, mm -hmm. IBM has gone nowhere. Mm -hmm. So you you're, you have enough of a moat that you can override even a bad CEO, even a bad break out there that, uh, that, that moat can handle. Well, so to, to your point, we want to go back to a series we were doing before the coronavirus craziness on checklists because one way that uh, you can kind of manage those emotions is to have a really good checklist to rely on. And you, Dad, were giving us your overall checklist and we had made it through radar in the beginning and then understanding the business and then I think we made it to the end of moat well, but i'm not 100 percent sure understanding the business is is actually a a, a, a three-part series that fall under understanding the business first is the meaning of the business and then the moat of the business and then the management of the business those three things comprise you know a wonderful business that oh. we understand okay, okay. Hmm. i have it written cool. as separately but okay sure great so yeah, because remember that the acronym is r-u-l-e-s rules so the acronym says radar where's this you know who's who's in this with you which really helps right another way of like, kind of cheating is your emotions is when you know warren buffett owns the company and two other great investors also own the company and mm -hmm. you're in there with them that really helps <clears throat> so that's radar and then understanding is Charlie's thing, got to be capable of understanding the business. What does that mean? It means, do you understand how it fits in its industry, the meaning of the business, how you connect to it, the mode of the business, what, what protects it against competition, and then management. Are they talented? Do they have integrity? So those, those three things are what comprise understanding the business. And then the fourth M is the final part of it, which is, well, part of understanding the business, which is the margin of safety. So first, is it a wonderful business? And that depends on the meaning, the moat, and the management. And then is it on sale? That's the margin of safety analysis. So those all fall under understanding the business on the, under the U oh, cool. of the radar okay. uh, rules acronym. Well, so I think I would advise everybody, we're not going to go through the beginning part again, because that would be 
really boring, but you can, it would be redundant. That's a better word, but you can go back and listen to those episodes. They are entitled checklist and then whatever we were working on that particular episode. Um, So you can go back and listen to those, but I'll just go through them quickly now, just rattle them off and we can get a sense of where we are. And you can tell me if we ended up finishing mode or not. Does that sound good? Cool. Okay. So here's what I have. And I wrote it down as we went, but these are handwritten notes and I may have gotten a couple things wrong. So for radar, one is the business is owned as 4% of the portfolio or more by a good investor. Mm-hmm. The next one is in the industry is in two out of three of your circles of competence, mm-hmm. which goes to passion, talent, and money. And then the next one is that I know this industry or I'm excited to become an expert on it. There you go. Then moving on to what I have titled as understanding, but maybe would be just the first section of meaning for you. Um, First is I can describe how the business makes money in a simple sentence. The next one is I can describe top three competitors and their secret sauce for making money in one sentence. The next one is the business is in the top of the industry by owner earnings and free cash flow. After that, I know the core customer of the business. Preferably, it's me. (laughs) I like that one. The next one is I know what problem this business solves for the customer. Then I can rattle off the history of the business and how it's changed over time. Next one is, I know why businesses fail in the industry. Then followed by, I can say why this industry will be going strong in 10 years. Why this industry will be going strong in 10 years, not just the company. Next one, I can list the key performance indicators that the industry follows, such as for retail, the sales growth in same stores. And the last one in that is I can list the key risks the business takes in this industry. So like, very good. what are the risks that they face within the industry? Right. Anything to add before I move on? So, so far we're being incredibly redundant, but continue. By me reading it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well. I'm bored to tears, so go ahead. I think it's quite fascinating. <laughs> All right. Moat. I can describe the critical parts of this operation of this business model. Next one. It's easy to convince customers to buy. Then, customers love or need the company. And I will add, preferably both. Um, The next one is suppliers love slash need the company. Next one, I know the competitive advantage of this business. And the next one is, I know, I know, I'm trying to read my handwriting. I know why the competitive business, no, I know why the competitive advantage is durable. And durable is underlined. And then the last one is, I know why the competitive advantage is intrinsic and difficult to copy. All right. Well, those three, those three are really Charlie's, you know, definition of moat. Yeah. Um, It's got a competitive advantage that's durable and intrinsic, right? Okay. So onward, we've hammered, we've hammered those out. So let's go to the last three of moat. Let's go to the last three. Oh, so we did not finish moat is what you're saying. We did not finish moat. Okay, cool. Right. 
So the next one is that I can say in a sentence the difficulties, the problems that customers are going to have if this business disappears, right? So what's my oh. problem if Coca-Cola disappears? I mean, my God, it's just like, you know, it's a soda. What's my problem is I'm going to have to drink cola, some generic thing, or fizzy water, or, <laughs> right, or Pepsi, or something that doesn't taste like Coke. That's yeah. going to be my problem. Yeah. And it's irritating. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I like Coke. All right. that, that little itch <clears throat> doesn't get scratched. That itch does not get scratched. Okay. <laughs> now, that's, that's relatively trivial. But let's say that I am a soldier and I'm in battle and my supplier of ammunition or my supplier of weapon systems goes out of business, mm -hmm. right? So I can't get repairs or I can't, right? If I'm flying a jet, I can't get repairs. Boeing goes away? How am I going to fix my jets? Big problem. Okay, so what's the, what's the problem? Yeah, I mean, go that's ahead. an interesting one because I think for many companies, the answer is, well, I just go to their competitor. It's exactly. not really that much of an issue. All the stuff, like all the modey stuff that was keeping me there now that that company is gone, is gone. And there are only a few companies probably where it's really, there really is nowhere else to go or, or switching over would be like a huge issue because the competition is so stiff in so many industries. It's, it's true, but it is a thing, you know, like if Chipotle doesn't make burritos, then I'm kind of out of the burrito eating business. I don't like the rest of them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, that's an irritant, not a, not yeah. a huge problem yeah. compared to a, the defense industry thing. But it, you do want to make sure that you're buying a business where it's an issue if it disappears. If it just disappears without a ripple in the ocean of businesses, that is not a moat business. Hmm. That ain't got a moat. Whatever you thought was the moat, the brand or whatever, turned out not to be a moat. And that's like jeans businesses come and go, right? These fashion True, things. true. I mean, oh, yeah, I'm totally into diesel jeans, right? They they go away, might not even notice that, oh, yeah, yeah. they're gone. So, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Next I'm, of course, yeah. now thinking about Peloton and what I would do if Peloton disappeared. I'm so obsessed with Peloton. I need to stop talking about it. Okay. It's a really good, Peloton that's is a the really new good Chipotle way to look at this. <laughs> Peloton's show. a new... I mean, I'm not there yet because I haven't used it, but I'm, I want it to be like you think it is because... No, man, but if it disappears, I have two answers to that, though. Like oh, if... Yes, unfortunately, because if, if... This is, again, to Peloton's like method of distribution which is like if it's the bike thing yes if their bike goes away there is no other bike but um but you don't ride their bike no that's that's my next point so if i'm an app user all somebody has to do is make a really good spin class app and it's essentially Ooh. the same for me Ooh, that's pretty shaky little yeah right there. so for it depends a lot on like whether or not you've bought into their equipment or not. All right, let's move on from Peloton. Well, here's here's a here's a maybe even better example of the rowing machine version of Peloton, mm -hmm. which is called Hydro. Mm -hmm. That's just coming out now, and they've patented the cameras on a live boat, like live boat cameras. That's just them. Wow. 
And I could see that if you get used to rowing with a live rower that's out there on some waterway and you're trying to keep up with that person, that could be really addictive. That could be really neat. And if that goes away, they go broke. I don't want to do video rowing, you know, or something like that. I Yeah. So, but point being, this is a critical aspect of moat. And if you start to feel like your company can go away without a ripple, then maybe no moat. Okay. Next one. Number okay. nine. This business has proven it can raise prices as its costs rise. Oh, interesting. This business has proven it can raise prices as costs rise. As costs rise. So this is, this is a fascinating aspect of moat. Um, and a lot of times we'll be looking at businesses that are generic. Their product is generic. So they make solar power or they make wheat or they make uh, energy from oil or mm. gas mm -hmm. or they make fertilizer, right? So the end user doesn't care that it's Coca-Cola fertilizer. Make sense? Mm -hmm. It's just fertilizer. It has the right ingredients and you put it on your soil. So the, the, the question of moat there for a generic is all about price. Right. There's no real switching. Oh, you can maybe make a switching mode by making deliveries. But basically, you, you've got to be looking at this generic thing and you got to say, well, man, um, if my business disappears, what's my problem that people are going to have? Because everybody makes wheat. Right. So that's a big issue for generics. Um, a lot of good ruler investors don't like to buy generic products for that very the, reason the Even low cost those, provider yeah yeah they, they don't care it's like uh -uh, that's too scary oh, right um and so one of the difficulties a generic has is it can't raise prices at all mm. <laughs> there's no way it has no price control right it's just a it's pure supply and demand mm. i mean if there's no oil prices mm. go up if there's lots of oil prices go down end of story exxon has no control of pricing in oil mm -hmm. okay so that business has proven it can't raise prices at all. And if its price costs of production are rising and it can't raise prices, it can go broke quickly. So that's yeah. really sketchy for generic companies. So just kind of keep that in mind. Really great moat companies, you can look back a hundred years and see the ones that have been around a long time. You see that their prices are much, much higher today than they were hundred years ago, Coca-Cola mm -hmm. notably, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's just interesting that they can just raise prices. Sugar prices go up, Coke raises its prices. Why? Can raise its price one cent, no problem at all, worldwide, um, because I am not going to be stopped for buying a Coke for one cent. Not going to yeah. happen. Well, it's that story that there's been very low inflation, but we all know that grocery prices have gone up dramatically in the last five, 10 years. And we respond to it by going like, okay, well, things are costing more. We things will pay more. more for the stuff yeah. at Costco. And yeah. that's just how it goes. Yeah, exactly. All right, very good. So raising prices, that's a really good sign of a moat. Um, and then sales, last one, this is number 10. Sales are recurring sales, not just one-off sales. Now, there can be good moat businesses that have one-off sales, right? In other words, let's say you're a, you're a real estate brokerage company 
your sales are almost all one off. You know, you, you're going to list another company or you're going to list another building, but you got to go find a new client. You, you know, you're not going to get, you can't just take it to the same client over and over and over again. Yeah. And so, um, recurring sales are an indication of a really good franchise, really good business operation. So Coca-Cola, classic recurring sales, right? <laughs> Heroin use, classic recurring sales business. <laughs> Just get, get an addictive business and you've got it. And, and, and so, um, you look yeah, at a company a like, though. like, do you mean like sort of what, what, what counts as recurring sales, right? Like, I don't, right. just because I bought a Coke today doesn't mean I'm going to buy one tomorrow. Um, just because I sold a house today doesn't mean I'm going to sell one in six months. Just because oh, I bought a Chipotle burrito are... doesn't mean I'm going to buy one tomorrow. But if I have, for example, like a software as a service contract, that means I'm definitely going to be paying that as long as my business still needs the service in six months or a year. Well said. So your, your recurring model in your software company so, you know, software as a service, that is a much more potent recurring sale than, as you say, you know, Coca-Cola or, or a burrito. Mm -hmm. So the Coca-Cola and burrito companies need to have a brand that's so strong and you're in you know, a taste and whatever it is that's pulling you back there that's so strong and so difficult to copy um, that you will come back because you don't have to. But wow, what a great model a recurring sale is that where you are, have to come back because you're using that product mm. and you have no choice. So this wouldn't necessarily back. disqualify one-off sales types type no. companies. It's just no, a, it's, one of the it's meant to like jog your that. mind. Sure. Okay. So you could still buy a car company and like I, I, and it's a very good question. When is it a recurring sale kind of thing and when is it not, right? So we bought, Ram trucks multiple times. So I guess that's sort of a recurring sale. We don't buy them every year. Right? <laughs> so it's very slow recurring sale. You mean like you personally bought Ram trucks? Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> and then we had trouble with our 2014 Ram truck. Mm -hmm. and which And trouble for us isn't just, oh, geez, this is not working well. It's It broke down with horses in the back in the trailer a thousand miles away from our farm. Oh, no. With our farm team in the truck and now i mean now we got a problem right mm -hmm. so we hate that and we just shifted over to ford because of that hmm. we just went and bought a ford truck hmm. uh, which is what we used to buy <laughs> looking for the perfect truck come on elon let's get that truck going buddy <laughs> oh my god would you <laughs> actually got... buy that hideous no hideous i truck? don't know what he was thinking <laughs> i feel like i was watching a fashion show yes you were where, watching a fashion where, show <laughs> Where you get these models that are lovely and they're wearing clothes that you would never see on the street. And just like, okay, let's just push the brand out there. And they're rip proof. Oh, wait, I just ripped it. Yeah. <laughs> was that not that was the, the most embarrassing demo? Like of life. <laughs> that is really embarrassing. If you guys we're, didn't see we're it, talking about Google, Tesla truck, uh, shatterproof windows because. Oh, my God. It's, you know, he tried to shatter them and it worked. You're, you're seeing a guy that takes himself seriously and he should <laughs> be embarrassed like crazy. I dropped the F-bomb oh right in his demo. <laughs> it was great. Um, all <laughs> so, right. So, um, all right. That's the, the recurring sales is a big sign of a great moat and you'd really like to get that if you can get it. Okay. All right. That takes care of moat. 
So any any cool. questions about that one? Um. Okay. Let me look I mean, the, over here. What so we've got to, to fill the dead air here. Moat is massively critical to our comfort level of owning a business when the stock price goes down. Okay. Super, oh yeah. Super, so good point. Super critical. The stock price is going down. I'm so glad the price is going down because this is a big, big moat business and I own a piece of it and I am saving my nickels to buy some more at this low price because this sucker is going to be around forever. Yeah. So at that point, I'd go back to the checklist and say, okay, it's still easy to convince customers to buy. Um, suppliers love slash need the company. Do suppliers still love slash need this company? Maybe they love it even more now that something's gone down with their price or... Or maybe they love it less because they're not buying as much. Like, who knows? Figure out if mm -hmm. these things are still true, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Figure out if they're still true. Um, this is the review. So we're going down the checklist. I know why the competitive advantage is intrinsic and difficult to copy. Now, that's something that should not change. So if it has changed, then that's a really bad sign. It's a really bad sign. It's probably an industry change. Right. Ah, so if you point. own a typewriter company and your advantages are intrinsic for some reason and very difficult to copy, let's just say, and all of a sudden it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. Right. I mean, if you're a great car company like a GM or a Ford or a Toyota and you can't make the transition to electric vehicles, mm -hmm. your big advantages as a moat of your brand aren't going to matter. Mm -hmm. And this is where Tesla is seen as extremely valuable in the marketplace. I mean, the value of Tesla is the value of, of three major car companies combined mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And that's because they're very clearly the future of automobiles and they have a big head start on the rest of these guys who've been watching Tesla for years now and haven't come out with 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 product that's competitive. So Maybe they will someday, right? They They're are starting now. To these days. They really are Maybe. now. They're almost every, well, I don't know. All the BMW cars that I see have an electric version, pretty much. And, and we'll see if they can, if they can compete with we'll Tesla. We'll see. Yeah, totally. Like we just got a Mini and they're made by BMW and we realized they had an electric version and we were a bit mad that we didn't get that version. So the next one will probably be the electric version. There you go. And so we'll all be shifting. I mean, I just talked about an electric truck, not because I feel like I have to do, you know, uh, signaling that I'm a virtuous person. I, we're not worried that you're signaling me. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter knows me well. Not really care what other people think too much. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm not virtuous. I don't know which way she might mean that. Uh, but no, I meant, way. I meant the, you're very virtuous. I meant the caring what other people think part of it. <laughs> <laughs> but electric trucks are the future because they can pull like a beast from the first throttle. That, yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. Is that they, they immediately have all power to the wheels the moment you step on the, yeah. on the, what do we call it now? We're stepping on the I gas. know, right? It's, you know, well, racers call it a throttle, electron. so you could call it the throttle. I suppose okay, that's more accurate. Yeah, yeah I just watched, the there's this show on Netflix about like turning old junker cars into fast sort of like crazy cars. And I can't remember what it's called, but you know, there's probably like five different shows exactly like that. 
And they turned an old Pinto into an electric drag racing Pinto. (laughs) And these guys like hate electric cars. Like they're total gearheads. They were all pissed off that they had to like read a manual and figure out how to hook up wires and stuff. But they did it. And that thing went, because the second you press the throttle, it goes at almost full power. And it was the fastest that they were trying to get it under i think under nine seconds then they got it under eight seconds it was 7.8 seconds oh my gosh yeah crazy those of you don't know anything about that drag strip stuff means that they would be out there competing against sort of nitrogen driven engines that are super sophisticated this is not your normal car that can go zero yeah or go through a quarter mile in eight seconds so that's incredible it made a pinto go through the quarter Electric. It was really cool. Electric Pento. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really fun for him. So um, yeah, any that's, total that's aside. It. That, that is the deal with moat and and getting that intrinsic thing there and making sure it isn't changing is really key. But but don't worry so much about that. That is really not a problem. You will see it on the front pages for weeks or months. Well, only if it's a, a big company. In oh, in an industry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're seeing the whole industry change. Then the next thing we're going to is is really super critical, and that's the management of the business. And the fun part of this, we'll, we'll we'll cover this next time, but the fun part of this is that there are really objective numbers that you can look at to determine at least some of the qualities of management that we'll get into. And those are well, those are no, really those are the ones we've talked about many times, right? All okay. along. Yeah, many, many so times. They're on the checklist. So we'll go through it. We've got we've got a 10, 10, 10 checks to check on the management of the business. We'll get into that next time. Fabulous. And, uh, I love doing fabulous. checklists. I think it's the nerd in me. I just love learning about checklists. And the and the beauty of a checklist is that you know, working off of this one that I've created isn't from me. This is coming, I mean, you could look at Charlie's checklist is driving this checklist, right? His checklist of four things, capable understandings, got a moat, got management, got a margin of safety. And that's driving this checklist. So we always try to improve on it. And I'll tell you, one of the beautiful things that I think Charlie Charlie really said once was that, um, you know, it's really a smart person that learns from other people, mm. right? You, you start at a much higher level when you learn from other people. And remember um, when we when we interviewed um, Jim McElvey from Square, uh, from Square, basically saying that he had three mentors in his new book. Right, three mentors, only one of which was alive. Mm-hmm. Only one of whom mm-hmm. was well, I guess two of them were alive, but one that he met, and and so he had a he had a mentor that you know was a guy that built a bank in 1904. Yeah, and wrote about it. I, that's what I love. I mean. It, so when you're looking at a checklist, what you're really looking at is something that's been derived from many mistakes, many, 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 many years of investing. And then you're going to add to that as time goes along, things that you learn as well. Agree. Yeah, this is this cool. is a really, really helpful checklist. All right. So All management right. next time. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Bye. Until then, time to go play, guys. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. 
So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that you're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.